Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is our 720th day together in the Word of God, and we come to Luke 24. Quite a contrast from where we were yesterday in Isaiah 34. We come now to glorious, wonderful, positive. I mean, this is really one of the great chapters in all of Scripture, one of the great events in human history, and uh, just such the foundation of our hope and our joy in the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we dig into Luke 24 together this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh. Thank you so much for the blessing of knowing you as your children, for being called by you to life in Christ. Thank you that because of the resurrection, there is life in Christ, eternal life given to all who believe. Father, help us to believe and help us to live in the light of the resurrection we read about in this chapter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of us, who were some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. That is Luke 24.
The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the cornerstone of our hope. It is the foundation of our life with God. You see, the, the resurrection of Jesus means that we have a living Savior. That there is a, a man, the man Christ Jesus, who has achieved, he's earned, eternal life. He is alive. He is still a man. Jesus Christ, he ate fish with the disciples uh, in Emmaus to show them that he was fully human. He, he demonstrated with Thomas, touch my hands and touch my side. Spirit does not have flesh and blood as you see that I do. And he ate with the disciples by the Sea of Galilee's recording other gospels and John's gospel in particular, those two stories. And so we have a resurrected Savior who is a man, as well as God. True God and true man, the God-man, sitting in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. We serve a living Savior. We belong to a living Savior. People sometimes ask, why is the resurrection so important? Well, because Jesus isn't dead. Like, that's why the resurrection is so important. We have this um, Gnosticized version of eternal life that is completely unbiblical. What do I mean by Gnosticized? And what do I mean by an unbiblical version of eternal life? Christians, a lot of Christians, most Christians probably even, have in their minds this very simplified understanding of I believe in Jesus Christ, and that means that when I die, I go to heaven instead of going to hell. That is not the biblical gospel. What? Sounds like it. No, it's not the biblical gospel. You see, God made us in his image, body and soul. And sin brought destruction and devastation into God's creation. Yes, it separated us from him. Yes, it put us under a sentence of condemnation. But it corrupted all of God's creation because human beings were made to be the head of creation and we rebelled against God who made us to be under him and over creation. So all of creation that we were given vice regency over, that we were given responsibility for, was plunged into ruin and death and chaos and misery came into the world as a result of sin. Jesus comes to redeem us and all creation forever. So in the resurrection, we get a picture of the final redemption that will come at the consummation, at the return of Christ, at the close of this age, and the dawning of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus rose again from the dead, and he is in a body that never dies. He is in redeemed creation. You see, his body was created in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his body was resurrected. It's, it's the eternal redemption. And so Romans 8 tells us we await our redemption, the redemption of our bodies, our full adoption as sons. That's what Romans 8 says. We groan inwardly. As we wait for that day. And so our salvation is if we belong to Jesus, when we die, our souls go to be with Jesus in heaven, but our bodies still united to Christ rest in the grave awaiting the resurrection. 
And on the resurrection day, we receive new bodies, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, and we enter into the new heavens and the new earth, the redeemed and restored creation that Romans 8 also talks about. All creation is groaning with eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. And so we are, we're led into this new creation by the power of God. And all of that is secured by the resurrection. Resurrection is absolutely vital. Yes, the death of Jesus is absolutely vital. It takes away our sin. It gives us the righteousness of Christ. It reconciles us to God. It, 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 it allows for us to be righteous and forgiven. But we also need to be resurrected and restored, glorified. So in a sense, you can say that the death of Jesus secures our forgiveness, our peace with God, but the resurrection of Jesus secures our eternal life, our glorification, our end goal, the consummation of our salvation. That's what salvation is. It isn't just I go to heaven when I die. It's my soul goes to be with Jesus while I await the day of resurrection. Even now, under the altar in heaven, Revelation uh, 6 pictures for us, the souls of the martyrs crying out, How long, O Lord? How long? Because they're still suffering on the world. There's still people being persecuted and killed for their faith. So we're awaiting the resurrection just as the disciples were awaiting the resurrection through that very long Friday night and Saturday and early Sunday morning. And they were waiting. We are waiting for the resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own resurrection. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says, that the resurrection of Jesus secures and guarantees our resurrection. So, let's dig into this passage just briefly. We're not going to be able to go through every single part of it in detail. But the women come to the tomb, and they have spices they prepared for, for finishing the burial of Jesus, finishing the preservation of his body. But the good news is his body doesn't need to be preserved anymore because he's not dead anymore. That preliminary job they did when he was taken down from the cross was more than good enough because he wasn't even in the grave long enough to rot. He wasn't even in the grave as long as Lazarus was in the grave. He got up on the third day. He rose. And the angels remind them that this is what he said to them. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of God, Son of Man, must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise. And they remembered his words and then they go back. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, who's probably Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women who are with them. And so they go back and they tell the apostles. And the apostles, it's so amazing. The first glad announcement of the resurrection, verse 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them, despite that Jesus had told them despite the scriptures that had testified to this, despite the eyewitness account of the women who were like, we were at the tomb, we saw angels, this is what they told us. They're like, this is an idle tale. We don't believe. That, that should encourage us if we've ever shared the gospel with somebody and they just say, oh, it just seems like mythology, it just seems like foolishness. You're really staking your hopes on a guy who you say rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Uh, come on, people don't rise from the dead. That just doesn't happen. We should be encouraged that that kind of response is not unusual, nor is it unexpected. And in fact, that was the response of the apostles when they first heard it. doesn't mean that that's the final response. We can keep praying and keep sharing because God can open eyes to see and believe just as he did for 
the apostles. And what's interesting about Luke's account here is we leave the apostles in this state of doubt, in this state of unbelief, marveling. Uh, even Peter, he sees the linen cloths by themselves and he marvels at what has happened. Doesn't mean he believes, he's marveling. So we leave them and then we go to two disciples, one of them named Cleopas, the other one unnamed. These are not apostles. These are not leaders within the church. They're just two guys, right? Two guys who are discouraged. So fascinating to me that the first people Jesus appears to, Mary Magdalene in the garden, and then these two guys who are discouraged. This is before the upper room appearance that's going to come later in the evening when Jesus uh, encourages his apostles. Just so fascinating the way the Lord works in unexpected ways to reach out to those who are not considered important in the eyes of the world. One of these apostles is unnamed. So they go, they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're going perhaps back home. They're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. They're walking, they're discouraged. Jesus comes and starts talking to them and they cannot recognize him. You see, part of what we're getting here in Luke 24 is the sovereignty of God in opening eyes and showing Christ to people and to their hearts for belief and for salvation. The apostles didn't believe the word that was brought to them. Peter didn't even believe on the basis of seeing the empty tomb with the linen cloths. Um, these two men have Jesus come up to them and talk with them, and they still don't believe. He opens the scripture to them. This is one of those um, moments in scripture. This is one where I would love to insert myself and just sort of stand next to Cleopas and next to the other disciple and be able to overhear what Jesus is saying because Jesus tells them, why are you so foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And then Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this seven-mile walk, who knows how far along they already were, who knows how long this took, but it could have taken a couple of hours. You know, it takes a little while to walk four, five, six miles. And so they could have had this Bible study with Jesus who begins with Moses and all the prophets and interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they draw near to the village to which they're going. And he acts as if he's going to go farther. They invite him to stay. This is, of course, all part of his plan. He wants to be invited by them into the house to share a meal and he takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. Now later they're going to say that the Lord was made known to them in the breaking of the bread when they get back and talk to the, the rest of the disciples. But here their hearts burn within them when he opens the scriptures. Their eyes are opened when he breaks the bread. And then they, they get it. They get it and they find the others they find the 11 and those who are with them gathered together maybe as many as 100 disciples gathered together we know there are about 120 on the day of pentecost and they say the lord has risen indeed and they tell what happens on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread verse 35 there it is 
And then Jesus comes in. So Jesus comes in and says, peace to you. They're frightened. They think it's a spirit. Like the ones who hadn't seen, I guess Peter knows who it is, right? Mary Magdalene knows who it is. Cleopas and the other disciple from the road to Emmaus, they know who it is. But the rest of them there, they're thinking it's a spirit. Even after they've heard all these things, right? This just shows you the natural state of the human heart is unbelief and a hardened unbelief. So Jesus says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? It's not enough that they have the scriptures. It's not enough that they have eyewitness testimony from multiple reliable sources. They need to have God open their eyes. And even when he says, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Again, resurrection, not appearance of a spirit, not he went to be with heaven like we talk about people doing in their souls. This is his body, resurrected. Even then, they still disbelieved for joy. You see, it's too wonderful to be true. We have heard it all of our lives, most of us, and we maybe take it for granted, but the reality of it, like the reality of it, people don't rise again from the dead. It's too wonderful. Just like virgins don't give birth. It's too wonderful. It, it, they were disbelieving for joy. And yet he says, give me something to eat. And he eats right in front of them. And they know that, that he's not a spirit. So he reminds them of what he said to them. Just as the angels reminded the women of what he said. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know, Luke 24 is one of those passages that's inspired me years ago when I first read it and first got it. Years ago, it inspired me to, to do what we're trying to do here on a day-by-day -day basis, which is to look at even the Old Testament and say, where is Jesus here? Because the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms have things written about Jesus that have to be fulfilled. He is there. He's there throughout all of the scriptures from the word spoken at creation when God said, let there be. And there was that word of creation. John 1 tells us is Jesus through everything in the Old Testament and then coming into the world in the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. And this is what this passage of scripture in particular is what motivated me to have this Christ-centered, robust hermeneutic, right? How do you read the Bible? How do you interpret scripture? You do it looking for Jesus, looking to see how it's all about Jesus, because Jesus himself taught us that it is. We do it on the Christ's authority. And there may be people who scoff and who say, oh, you're looking for Jesus in hidden places, looking under every rock and behind every bush of the Old Testament, looking for Jesus. No, we're looking to see that he. it's really about him, because he himself said, it is really about him. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, in Luke's sequel in Acts, he picks up on this idea of the sending of the promise and being witnesses. And in Acts 1.8, he says, 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then we get the ascension. What's interesting about Luke in Luke Acts, this two-volume work, he puts the ascension in Luke and then he puts the Great Commission in Acts, which is so interesting. It's a way to tie the two books together. But the ascension now comes. He leads them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blesses them, and while he blesses them, he parts from them and is carried up into heaven. They worship him. They return to the temple uh, in blessing God with great joy, worshiping. This is this is the, the the ascension is a key part of this, right? Because if they had just had a vision of Jesus resurrected and then weren't sure kind of what happened to him and where did he go and how come he doesn't come around anymore, that's that would leave them in doubt and questioning like what what's really going on jesus resurrected and he appeared to us and now he's not around anymore no they saw him go up into heaven and when the power of the holy spirit comes they're going to have a clear testimony to be eyewitnesses of with a clear understanding of where jesus is and what he's going to do because he's going to come again and they know that when he comes again all things will be finished and we're still waiting for that day some 2,000 years later, but God will not fail to keep his promise. He made it, he kept it in Christ, and he will keep it when Christ comes again. I hope you know that your hope is tied securely as an anchor for your soul to the resurrected Christ who is in heaven interceding for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for the joy of the resurrection. Thank you for the wonder of your word. Help us to live as those who know that we are redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that is Luke 24. Back to Isaiah tomorrow. Hope you can join me for that. Isaiah 35 is on tap. Have a blessed day in the Lord.